Burgers are best fresh from the grill. Well, more specifically, burgers with Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. It's so rich and creamy that it instantly makes any burger irresistible. And what backyard barbecue is complete without some potato salad? Not just any potato salad, of course. Potato salad highlights the rich, creamy goodness of Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. So if you want to take your barbecue season to the next level, stock up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. For great recipe ideas, visit hellmans.com. They say every dog has its day, but when you're Lulu and your parents drive a Camry, every day is your day. The roomy rear seat is the perfect, whoa, is that the dog park? Backseat besties, it's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry. Toyota, let's go places. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up, everybody? Before you get to your show, it's DJ and Bucky here from Move the Sticks to tell you what's coming up on our latest Move the Sticks episode. We're going to talk about which drills you need to pay attention to for each position and which ones are overrated. We also will talk about the big-time players to watch at the Combine. Yeah, everything you need to know about the Scouting Combine you can find on the latest Move the Sticks episode, YouTube, NFL.com slash podcast, as well as iTunes. What is going on? It is another edition of the NFL Fantasy Live podcast. I am not James Coe. I am Marcus Grant alongside Adam Rank. Hello. And the, hello, Adam Rank, the fantasy I maverick. I do pretty well that I don't, I don't speak until I'm spoken to. I feel like that's a good thing, right? I'm proud of you, Rank. And I, felt, and I felt that you got right to me. Right. Because James Coe will let it go. Yes, he likes to spread things out a little Five, bit. Five, ten minutes. Uh, also, the, you heard the voice of the whiz kid from Wisconsin, Alex Gelhar, there behind the glass. Of course, no James Coe. He is dealing with a stomach bug. Those were the words he texted. Yeah, he us. said he'd been out of commission for like a week, yeah. and he hadn't gotten any better, so he is laid up, probably snuggling with baby Coe, although hopefully not getting her sick. But uh, you know, it's no, you a, gotta you gotta quarantine yourself when it, that happens. It's kind of been a rough year for James Coe. Car accident. Uh, you know, I mean, go back to late last year. He had the shoulder issue. Uh, he had what a rotator cuff injury, then a car accident, now the stomach bugs. So we're all pulling for you, James. But uh, you were starting to get the, li- the label injury prone. If there's one thing that that renders no follow up questions, it's stomach. It's bug. stomach bug. You're like, oh. tells me, like, I'm sick. Like, oh, what's wrong? Like, everybody wants to diagnose it. You're like, hey, stomach bug. It was like, okay, okay. that's good. Good enough. Stay home. Good Stay home. So, got plenty to do today. We will finish up our uh, post mortems of the divisions with the NFC South. But of course, the big news from the past week in the football world was the scouting combine in Indianapolis. So, we're going to talk plenty of that. In fact, we have. Our first guest. Yes, I'm going to intro him here quick before we bring him in. Uh, this off season, there's a lot of great people in the fantasy community we wanted to try and bring on the show and discuss things with us. And with the Combine wrapping up, we're bringing in John Moore. He's at the CFX on Twitter. He does uh, a lot of great work for Rotoviz. He's on the, the Rotoviz radio podcast, and he does college football write-ups for Pro Football Focus Fantasy as well. So he is the person to talk to when it comes to uh the combine and prospects and everything. So, John, welcome to the Fantasy Live podcast. 
Yes, thank you guys for having me on. Glad to be with you and absolutely thrilled to discuss the Combine. It was a, certainly an exciting event and one that we can uh, jump into. For sure. So did I get everything right there in the introduction? Anything else you want to you wanna tell us about yourself or your, your background and getting into this crazy world of writing about football? No, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. I, I was the guy that uh, I just always loved football, always tried to find ways to exercise that passion. Uh, I studied finance in college, but because the, the financial crisis hit right as I was graduating, kind of went a different path, but football was sort of my way to apply my sort of numeric worldview to something that I felt passionately about since I was a kid, and here we are a few years later, and I'm uh, really glad to be on the show with you guys. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll get the, I'll get us started off here. So before we dive into indig- individual prospects and stuff and guys that we saw perform well and didn't perform so well, everybody tends to have one of their guys in the in the draft class, you know, somebody that they might like to pound the table more for than other people or who they like a little better than others, maybe the general consensus is. So do you have a guy this draft? And uh, if so, who is he? You know, I have a guy that I love this draft, but he laid a bit of an egg at the combine, but I'm going to stick with him, and that guy is Tyler Boyd out of Pitt. When you look at Boyd, you've got a guy who, for three seasons, really carried that passing offense. I know this last year his numbers were a little bit down overall, but if you go back to 2014 and compare him neck and neck with Amari Cooper in terms of their age, in terms of size, uh, yards per target production, market share production, basically across the board, Tyler Boyd's 2014 was almost equal to Amari Cooper's by many of the metrics that I rely on. And so even though he ended up being a little bit of an underwhelming athlete at the Combine, he's still a guy that I think because of his diverse production in college, special teams, running, receiving, even through passes in college, which I think is an interesting indicator of how much the coaching staff trusted him, he's a guy that I I really think could succeed at the next level as probably a high-end kind of slot receiver, maybe like a Keenan Allen type. Uh, and if you remember, Keenan Allen had a lot of athletic question marks coming out. We didn't get the best read on him, but obviously made a pretty big impact right away in San Diego. Yeah, he was dealing with some injuries too, I think, when he came through the process, which didn't help his stock either. Uh, mm-hmm. So a guy we've had lots of discussions on here, and it seems that the draft community is a little divided on, is not divided on in a bad way, but Kenneth Dixon. Some people think he's a complete back. Some people think he's a change of place you know, change of pace guy. Like I think Josh Norris has him in his top 32 overall. Uh, Bucky Brooks thinks he's like a fourth or fifth round pick. He had a decent, he had a pretty good combine. I think it kind of confirmed what we all saw on tape. Like he's got the good short area quickness, not the greatest long speed. What's your take on Kenneth Dixon? Do you think he can be a complete back in the NFL? Yeah, I absolutely do. And the things that I really like about Kenneth Dixon is first that he's got the size to handle the workload and that he proved that he can handle the workload. During his career at Louisiana Tech, he checked into the combine right about 5'10", 215 pounds, which is perfectly fine for me. As far as athleticism, really was above average in just about everything except his speed, which he was about average. And so for, for that, you know, I, I like guys, particularly running backs, I pay attention to their agility, uh, especially check the boxes there. And then as far as his receiving ability, that's where he really shines. Uh, one of the best receiving running backs in this class. And so when you look at a guy that he has the experience being involved in the passing game, not only as a receiver, but also as a protector. I think he's demonstrated a lot of the abilities that, uh, that you want to see out of a three-down back in the NFL. And I think in, in some ways, guys like him can almost be like, boringly awesome in the sense that they, just, they do everything at a, at a high level, maybe not anything in particular that really wows you, but right. you just get the job done everywhere. Totally. 
Uh, I mean, you, you talk about yeah. There are guys I think that have the ability to be three down backs. Are, have we have we gotten past that though? I mean, since teams generally use some sort of a rotation, I mean, it, is there such a thing? Unless you're an Adrian Peterson type, where you will have the opportunity in the league to be a three down back anymore. I mean, I think if you're asking, is there a guy in this class who I think could be a three down back? Yeah, I think uh, Ezekiel Elliott certainly uh, fits that mold. He's a guy that. I think uh, Eric Galco said it really well. He's, he's someone that can run, run block, receive, and pass block. And that's a guy, uh, along with his production, along with his age, size, speed, I think Ezekiel Elliott can be that. And, and that's the thing. I think with, with each class, there really are only maybe one or two guys that can be that. And I think that, uh, I think that Ken Dixon, along with Ezekiel Elliott, uh, can, can really both do that. What round are we looking at Dixon going in? Because I'm, I'm kind of hoping – that he falls to one of those better teams? Because it always it always comes out to be like a situational type thing, like a good enough running back. Like if he went, and not necessarily in the first round, but if he went to like Cleveland, I just think it would be – I'm using that as an example, but where do you see him? I, I guess I'm just a long-winded way of saying, <laughs> where is he going? Well, I mean, I think there's so many variables. It's tough to, to nail down a specific spot for him team-wise, but I think range-wise, I would look for him to come off the board probably in the, the back half of – round two, uh, maybe into the early round three part. Um, in recent years, that's where we've seen a good number of backs go. Yeah, like the, uh, the Gio Bernard, Eddie Lacy kind of kind of run that we've seen in a, the last couple of years, you're feeling? Exactly. And so I think that, that bottom half of round two, because for me, he's, he's one of the best five running backs in this class. And so usually by about the 64th, 65th pick, something like that, uh, the fourth or fifth back will, will be off the board. All right, speaking of the, the top five backs in the class, heading into the combine, one guy that I had seen climbing up a lot of draft boards was uh, Alex Collins out of uh, Arkansas, and then he uh, did not have the greatest athletic showing at the combine. So did this uh, change your opinion of him? I don't know. How, I actually don't know how high you were on him beforehand, and what do you think it's done to his, uh, his draft and fantasy value heading into the next year? Yeah, it's pretty amazing because Collins was one of those guys that I think as proxy for – uh, combine athleticism, I like to go back and look at what they did coming out of high school with all the different uh, like Nike camps that these guys will go to. And he was someone I was actually expecting to have plus athleticism. And so when he came in pretty much below average in, in almost everything, it was, it was pretty surprising. And he's a guy that I think when you look at him, he's, I think, three seasons. All three seasons at Arkansas was over 1,000 yards from scrimmage, which I really like. He's got the size in the 215, 20-pound range that I really like to see. But, man, that, that athleticism was a pretty big red flag. And I think when you look at it, I mean, I was looking for guys who basically were as productive as Alex Collins was, but as unathletic as he proved to be. <laughs> and uh, a, a couple names, college names that came up that I thought were interesting were Stephen Taylor from Stanford and Antonio Andrews out of Western Kentucky. And to me, those, those guys both stream a little bit of system producers, if you will. Yeah. You know, people talk a lot about uh, system quarterbacks or system-wide receivers, but I think there is such a thing as a system running back. And I know that uh, Bielema, with the history at Wisconsin and now down at Arkansas, I think there's a little bit of a chance that he falls into that mold. I think Alex Collins is certainly an NFL-worthy running back and, and you know one of definitely the best 10 running backs in this class, but it just definitely makes you scratch your head when, when somebody uh, has that big a disparity in production, especially in the SEC, and then uh, proves to be that unathletic. That's right. the one thing, too, is you talk about Bielema, and everybody always makes jokes about the Wisconsin running backs. But you got to remember, it's a coaching thing. It's not necessarily the program or anything like that. It's a coaching thing. 
And honestly, I mean, it wasn't that much of a surprise to me because I know that he had some success, but when he's playing in the SEC, you see Fournette and you see Derrick Henry. I think it's very easy to look at this guy and be like, yeah, he's just not as good as them. Like even yeah, just I'm not even the combine numbers notwithstanding. I mean, I did. I just feel like watching him. I just didn't feel like he was on that level of the other two guys. Yeah, and, and I think in fairness to Collins, though, I mean those those two guys are. I don't want to say generational talents, but they're pretty, they're pretty rare though. commodities. And so, uh, you know, there's been this run of backs coming out of the SEC. If you look back over the last maybe like I don't know five years or so, the the Zach Stacys and the Stephen Ridleys. And these guys that, that are productive, and they kind of come out a little bit lost in the fray, if you will. They get trapped behind these other SEC runners who get more attention. And they can still have good peaks in the NFL, but I don't necessarily know if, if they are like you know, long-term type assets that you get excited about. Certainly a name to know, though. Uh, moving on, and we can do this. We can do this. We can speak freely here about Daniel Lasco because noted Cal Honk James Coe uh, is not, not with here. us today. But uh, Lasco I had a, a lot of big numbers, put us a lot, a lot of good numbers at the combine. Um, I mean, where do you see him? What does this do for him after the, the week in Indianapolis? You know, we talked uh, a little bit earlier about Tyler Boyd and how you really need to go back to 2014, I think, to see him at his best. And I think for Daniel Lasco, it's a similar situation. 2014, he was absolutely spectacular, over 1,400 scrimmage yards, 14 touchdowns. And then this year he came out, got off to a great start, and then had a hip injury, uh, was out, you know, then had an ankle injury, and then was out. And I think for, for him, um, he's probably a little bit undervalued on the national radar right now. Uh, obviously this performance was, was just kind of mind-blowing. I mean, one of the, uh, the most sort of straight-line, explosive guys who's been through the combine at the running back position in recent years. The tricky part with him, though, is that he's really not agile whatsoever. And I don't know if it's sort of juicing himself up to do well in these explosive things, uh, explosive drills. He, uh, he sacrificed some of that, but that's, that's actually something that I almost care a little bit more about than the explosiveness mm-hmm. is the agility. And for Lasco, um, that, that's definitely a red flag. But Absolutely great receiver, was used as such at Cal. And uh, I mean, I think he's a guy whose stock is definitely on the rise. I'm, I'm not sure how high I want to move him just yet. I want to kind of see how he does at his pro day, but uh, certainly uh, a guy to track moving forward, particularly for people who are more uh, metrically inclined in terms of athleticism and whatnot. Yeah, his, his three cone was the one that was a little disappointing after seeing him light up the rest of the, the vertical with 41 and a half inches and an 11 foot, three inch broad jump was pretty crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to shift gears a little bit to wide receivers now. Oh, did you have something else, Rank? Or? No, I was just going to add a comment about him. And just say that he's going to be one of those guys who's going to end up frustrating you because there'll be – I guarantee you he's gonna, there's going to be a preseason game where he breaks a huge run and everybody's going to go crazy for him. But because he, he just doesn't – I don't know. I Just watching him, like he's got to be in a straight line and go because he's not going to hit the hole and he's not going to make an adjustment. So I'm sorry. I, I – Sorry, I'm just interjecting. No, that's what this is for. I don't, I don't want to take up all John's time. I, I know. Well, we, we have plenty of time to bag on these guys. <laughs> uh, so, as I was saying, we'll transition to uh, wide receivers a little bit. Digging through your Twitter timeline, we uncovered that uh, you had Coleman and Dotson. Uh, Corey Coleman and Josh Dotson were your top two favorites. Uh, do you still feel that way after Laquan Treadwell put up a pretty solid combine, even though he didn't run the 40-yard dash? Yeah, for me, uh, I think the thing with, with Coleman and Doxson is that, in my eyes, they're somewhat more realized as, as prospects. 
Um, I think Treadwell, you have a lot of things with him that people like to see. He's 6'2", 221. That's a big check mark. He's young, which matters a lot in, in my worldview. Just going to be 21 years old as a rookie, which is the same as Amari Cooper last year. Um, but as far as what he's actually done on the field, I think there's still a lot to be uh, a lot to be desired. And I think that the promise is there, but really what I did, because I, I noticed that they checked in at about the same size of the combine, almost exactly the same size, Laquan Treadwell and Dante Moncrief going back a couple years. Across the board, in virtually every metric that I could devise, Laquan Treadwell and Dante Moncrief were uh, the same on field in terms of efficiency, in terms of uh, the amount of the passing offense that they shouldered. Athletically, Treadwell is much less than what Moncrief was. And I just look at it and I think, you know, people are talking about Treadwell going in the top 15 overall, and Dante Moncrief went 90th overall. Now, does the truth probably lie somewhere in the middle? I think so. I mean, I think Laquan Treadwell is a very good prospect. I think he should be taken in the first round, but I would be much more comfortable with him probably in the 20 to 30 overall range than the, the top 10 or top 15. Like, He's talking about going because I think that the projectability is there, but I think he is far from the sure thing that he's made out to be uh, by many of the, the different things that I read. Yeah, as silly as it is, it could come down a lot to what he runs in his 40 at his pro day. But I've seen him mocked you know, with our guys at NFL Media and other people anywhere from going fourth overall to the Cowboys to you know the Minnesota Vikings at 22 or wherever they pick. I forget off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what else? What's your, what else is your beat on Coleman and Dotson? Why are those your favorite guys in the class? Yeah, I mean, I think for Corey Coleman, it just comes down to him being a really spectacular athlete um, within the context of the combine. That's the most pressing thing. I know that he didn't run, but considering his size, he weighed in at 194, 40-and-a-half-inch vertical, 129-inch broad jump, 17 on the bench. I mean, that's really good on the bench. Yeah. Um, and to me, that kind of signifies you know i know people talk about oh well we look at these numbers and you know what does it really mean when i see something like that a 194 pound guy put up 17 on the bench he's in the weight room he's doing the work he's dedicated to his craft he's dedicated to getting better um and maybe that's a lot to extrapolate from one number but (laughs) that matters Uh, and then you look at what he did on field i mean he i think he caught 20 touchdowns in his first eight games this season on a, a per target basis he was one of the most heavily targeted receivers in college football last year and managed to pull 11.6 yards every time the ball was thrown in his direction, uh, which is a remarkable number. He's got sort of the age production profile that I really like. And then I know that Baylor kind of gets knocked around a little bit for the kind of offense they run. But in recent years, they've turned out guys who have been quality NFL receivers. Uh, Josh Gordon, uh, Kendall Wright, Terrence Williams. And so I think that something that Art Riles is doing is working for putting these guys into the league. And I think that Coleman has the potential to be uh, as good as any of those guys have been. And, and we saw that both uh, that you know Kendall Wright went in the first round and, and Josh Gordon was used uh, a second-round supplemental pick to acquire him. So I think that Coleman uh, Coleman's really the guy that I think might end up being my number one receiver in this class. Well, looking at another wide receiver who is kind of moving up boards is Leonte Carew. Aside from having just a fantastic name, and it's fun to say, <laughs> uh, I mean, how do you feel about Carew right now? Yeah, I really like Carew. He, uh, there's, a, there's a joke with the guys at Rotoviz 
that there's a certain type of player that is a road of his reach, and it's someone who just checks all the metric boxes, but maybe you know we watch him on film, people don't like him as much. And Carew is the guy this year. Um, he just has been absolutely brilliant over the last two years. Um, I want to say something in the neighborhood of like 12.6 yards per target over the last two seasons, which is the best of anyone in this class. Uh, he's shouldered a high percent of his team's passing offense, which I really like. He's got the, the touchdown prowess that I love to see. I think for his career, he has five, three touchdown games, which is just stupid. Um, and even though he maybe doesn't quite have the like prototypical build that you like to see, checking in right at six feet and 211 pounds is, is certainly fine with me. Uh, explosive guy, and he's someone that I think, uh, I know there's some off-the-field issues with him, but I think from the things that I like to pay attention to, drafting him somewhere in the 30 to, to 40 overall range would be warranted. Not saying that he will end up going there, but I think that would be uh, you know, a worthy pick in that area. Yeah, I got to ask because a lot was made this weekend of the wide receivers, especially their 40 times. And, you know, Mike Mayock commented on it. Chris Harris jumped in on Twitter to talk about, uh, you know, kind of the disappointing 40 times. And we, I think we always get to this point in the year where, especially after the combine, people start to talk about whether or not, you know, some of these numbers, the 40 and what have you, are, are overrated. It always seems like, you know, when it's your guy and he runs a good 40, then, then it means something. If it's your guy and he runs a bad 40, then it's overrated. But looking at this, this wide receiver class as a whole, I mean, are these numbers, are they worrisome? Are they overrated? I mean, is there, is there something to take into this? You know, what I actually I think happens sometimes, and I know this is probably a little bit crazy, like last year, for example, a lot of the running back 40 times were really slow. Uh, this year, all of the, the wide receiver ones seem to be really slow. I wonder if there's not almost something that happens that somehow the, the timing mechanism or the however it's calibrated for a given day um, doesn't just lead to, to peculiar results sometimes. Ooh, conspiracy uh, honestly, theory. I like ooh. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I know that's a little bit silly. I know the NFL does a great job with everything, but I don't okay. know. It's okay. You don't need to say He immediately backtracked. Like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you guys are great. But uh, it just it just struck me as odd because a lot of these guys are, I mean, I think this was like the slowest wide receiver class in, you know, five or six years, something like that. It, it just struck me as odd because when you watch a lot of these guys, it doesn't seem like they are below average athletes or, you know, even just average athletes. So I don't know what was going on there. Uh, honestly, one thing that I would really like to pay attention to, and this is, uh, this is kind of a, a check mark in the, the Corey Coleman box and even Josh Doxson as well, is I just look at the, the jumping metrics. Um, cause I think even that like pro days, sometimes the times are a little bit finicky. So I just look at how explosive are they when they're jumping? Um, because of those things are definitely correlated. And so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think with the, with the forties, it was a little bit of a disappointment. And a lot of these guys in fairness, weren't really that great of jumpers either who had the below, below average times like a, like a Tyler Boyd or like a Richard Higgins. And so some of that kind of lines up. Uh, but when you look at guys like Dawson, Coleman, they really, uh, they really are that explosive. Sterling Shepard, and so it's easier to uh, to get on board with them. Awesome. Well, I think that anybody else have any other questions for John? That was a lot of great uh, information there that you, uh, you you knowledge you dropped on us and our listeners. So, and um, Adam, Marcus, anybody else want to any other questions? Any other prospects? No. Or, you know, I, what about what about uh, 
What about Mike Thomas of Ohio State? Because I, I was going to say I, which one. I, I, I know. <laughs> but I, this is my thing. Is like I don't watch a lot of the combine because it skews me. And we talked about it last week. Like you, all it is is it's it's validating your opinion that you already have in some guy. Like if he has a great combine, you're like, see, see what I told you. If he does poorly, you say, you know what, doesn't matter because uh, what matters is what happens on the field. Mike Thomas is somebody who I look at and I watch enough Ohio State games that to me he just strikes me as somebody who's going to go out there and make an impact in the NFL. What was your read from him coming off the combine? Yeah, I think for a guy who's probably one of the bigger receivers in this class, uh, he ended up being tremendously agile, which is something that I like to see out of those bigger guys. I think his jumps were, were good enough. Uh, he was pretty strong considering how, how long of arms he has. Uh, so for me, I mean, I like Mike Thomas. I like what he did on the field. He was one of the more consistent touchdown producers in the country this year. I think if you look at him within the context of Urban Meyer receivers, he's one of the uh, more dominant of those guys that have come out. And so I think he's certainly sort of a long-term uh, NFL receiver who will have a, a solid career. For me, the one thing that, that kind of comes up a little bit is just that he uh, he's a little bit on the older side as far as uh, prospect age. That's something that I pay attention to. Other people you know, don't give as much credence, but um, he's certainly a guy who I think is, is worthy of going in the, the top two rounds of the draft, especially because this year it's, there's a lot of sort of small receivers or at least longer and leaner kind of guys, and, mm-hmm. and Thomas is pretty well-built and has the Ohio State pedigree and uh, really has done nothing but produce over uh, over the last year. Well, uh, John, uh, appreciate the time. Give us let everybody know uh, where they can find you out there on the interwebs. Yeah, the best place to interact with me is on Twitter at the CFX, and I'll be glad to uh, to chat with you there. Awesome, and read his stuff on Rotoviz. Check out the Rotoviz Radio podcast. John is everywhere, and he's got a lot of great information on these prospects and more. So, John, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Bye. Thanks a lot to John Moore for his time. As you mentioned, as he mentioned, you can hear him on Rotoviz Radio and find him on Twitter at the CFX. And uh, hopefully, as Alex mentioned uh, earlier, we plan to get on a lot more folks uh, from the fantasy community to come and chat with us, uh, even maybe about things that aren't necessarily straight up fantasy football. Absolutely, there's already one person on the docket who has who? an interesting story. Uh, Liz Loza, our good friend from uh, Ah, Yahoo. yes, uh, yes, we. Uh, your wait, your good friend, our our pal, not not, not you, the collective you too. I don't want to. Be, <laughs> I don't want to be. <laughs> we into that crew. All we know is she apparently auditioned for a role in one of our favorite bad movies, and uh, she's going to tell us about it. And yeah, we'll yeah, talk yeah. fantasy and stuff as well. So Liz also has the benefit of being a Los a Los Angelino like us, so uh, we can get her in studio to hear all right. the the wonderful happenings of that audition process yeah we'll have a, maybe it's an, an oral history of almost being in the room yes so there we go uh <laughs> but yeah so thanks again to john for hopping on the podcast i thought that was a lot of really good information uh obviously a sharp guy when it comes to watching prospects and stuff and uh yeah that was those were some good takeaways from the combine but should we dive into uh the nfc yeah, south let's, here? Uh, let's take a look at the nfc south this is our final post-mortem from 2015 as we can now uh, after this dive fully into what will happen in 2016 but uh let's start with the top of the division, the team that won, I guess you can't say the NFC pennant, that's baseball, but uh, the NFC crown, the NFC title holders, the Carolina Panthers, uh, obviously a fantastic season, 15-1 and in the regular season, uh, a tough loss to the Super Bowl, of course, but the big story coming into the season for them was Kelvin Benjamin goes down, they don't 
apparently have any wide receivers. Everybody wonders what's going to happen. A lot of us, myself included, took Cam Newton down our fantasy draft boards because we just didn't know who he was going to throw the football to. Obviously, Cam had a phenomenal season. But now, Kelvin Benjamin coming back from injury. And, yeah, Alex, do you think he is a wide receiver too next year? Where do you, where do you have him? I would be happy to slide him into that role. I think he's still a pretty young guy, and we saw what he was able to do with Cam in their first year together. Um, Kelvin Benjamin has seemed to be growing a little bit through the offseason. So, and there's going, to be, there's going to be volume for him in this passing attack. I mean, Ted Ginn had his 10 touchdowns last year magically, but we know that's not going to happen again. And... Benjamin's going to fit that type of chain mover, and he's the you know he's the, the other big target that uh, Cam needs in addition to Greg Olson to you know move that offense down the field. So I would feel very comfortable taking Benjamin in the in the wide receiver two range. He strikes me as one of those guys that the narrative around uh, June and July will be like, hey, this guy's going to be undervalued because people are forgetting that he's coming off an injury, and then everybody will have remembered it, and by August <laughs> he'll be right back up into the mix again. And he, I really I. I really expect a lot out of him this coming season. I think that the Carolina Panthers are going to take a little bit of a step forward, which is kind of hard to say because they were 15-1, and one and, and outside of a poor performance in the Super Bowl, it, it's really going to be hard to kind of top what they did. But one of the things I really liked uh, hearing about in the, in, over the, uh, the combine week was that Ron Rivera was giving his team an extra month off, actually five weeks, because he said, look, we had an extra month and five weeks of playoff practice so I really don't need my guys back out there. And so you look at a lot of these teams that, that have those like long playoff runs and then fall off the next season, it's because they have all that extra practice time. They don't really have an opportunity to go out and get well and get healed and everything like that. I don't think that's going to be a problem for Carolina. I think the fact that Rivera is looking out for his team in such a way makes his players want to play hard for him and really want to show up and do do a great job. So I expect Carolina to be back into the mix, and I expect this offense to be a little bit better. You know, I mean, Cam Newton is still going to grow as a quarterback. He's still got a chip on his shoulder, which is good, so I think that Benjamin's going to benefit from all that. Yeah, I mean, looking back, to Kelvin Benjamin in his rookie season was wide receiver 17 at the end of the year, which, I mean, at least for me, that exceeded my expectations of him in his first year. 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns, obviously a huge huge red zone target. I think that especially is where he will continue to excel. I mean, I know they, you know, they, they, they're hoping to kind of get some more guys in the mix. Devin Funches, I think, is a guy they kind of want to work in there. But uh, I just I see Kelvin Benjamin jumping back in and being that big red zone target for Cam Newton. Uh, and I think that, one, obviously Benjamin produces. I think it also helps Greg Olson because that's less attention that he gets in the center of the field. And if Devin Funches can take a step forward – Suddenly, that's three really good pass targets in that offense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think that's only going to help Cam because he, he, like you said, he progressed last year and he played phenomenally. I mean, he had a 7.1 touchdown percentage, which is was the highest in the league. Um, so it'll be good to see him get another guy that can actually you know, catch those passes in the red zone <laughs> and, uh, and convert those things into scores. Uh, Jonathan Stewart, who had, I think, one of his better seasons, um, did get hurt late in the season. I know that... That was always the fear for him that, you know, when it comes to drafts. A lot of people are always worried about uh, his durability. But overall, was a good year. And in a land where running back depth is non-existent, I mean, why wouldn't you take a chance on him as, a, as an RB2 next year? I absolutely would. I was the one that was pounding the table for Jay Stu all through the offseason in this very room, uh, much, you know, to – 
you know, your delight because you guys could all make fun of me for it. But and while <laughs> he started off slowly, there was a period um, in the middle of the season, I think it was after their bye. Uh, yes, it was after their bye. So he um, he had that big game in Seattle where, like, I think they hadn't let a rushing touchdown allowed in so many games, and he scored two. So from week six to, to week 14, he averaged – hold on, let me just finish doing my math here. Uh, and I accidentally started a video. Wow, I'm falling apart right now. But he averaged, <laughs> he scored, he had several double-digit game, double-digit fantasy games in a row. He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven out of eight weeks, he had 12 or more fantasy points. So he was like, he was so consistent. He was in that like Mark Ingram mold where he was going to get you points every week. We know this offense needs him to be at its full strength. Like it operated the best when Jonathan Stewart and Cam Newton were both running the ball effectively. So, I mean, yes, injury risk is there. He's another year older, but as the lead back in one of the NFL's top offenses, I don't know how you pass it up as an RB2. Well, I, yeah, no, that's the one thing, too, is uh, it, it, it really depends on what's going to happen in the draft because I think what we saw out of Cappy was not uh, exceptional, although no. I really liked him coming out of college. I liked him at Auburn, and I thought he was going to come out and have a little bit more of a role. But if they kind of stand pat and really don't address the running back position, it shows me that they're they're confident. Plus, you know, a lot of his injury, too, was the fact that – or the reason that he missed so many games was the fact that they were so far ahead in that division that they didn't, didn't yeah, really need was... to rush him out there. Like, ah, what are we going to do? Like, let's hold them. Let's try to keep them fresh for the playoffs, which was kind of the smart thing to do. So, uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm down with it. I think – I think what you're right. You're right. Hopefully, what they do get in the draft is a, a third down back who's a little who's quick and shifty and a little bit more of an adept pass catcher because that would keep Jonathan Stewart fresh to do all his early down work and uh, you know stuff along the goal line. And I was finally able to finish my calculations. It was 13.6 fantasy points per game during that stretch once he started getting enough carries. There you go. Uh, moving along to the Atlanta Falcons, I just uh, it just. <laughs> I can't get excited about the Falcons offense. I mean, I know obviously Devontae Freeman had a fantastic year. I know there were high hopes for Tevin Coleman. Uh, you know, Julio Jones obviously is outstanding. I just – maybe it's because I look at Matt Ryan and it just brings the whole thing down for me. Uh, you know, am I weird like that? Like, every, there are so many great pieces, but Matt Ryan just kind of like uh, – Yeah, I anyway. mean, it, it hurts. <laughs> You know, it should be more. Hey, Johnny Buttons. I am um, sorry. I'm waving to people randomly. Sorry, Tina. I'm sorry. I did not acknowledge you. I'm not acknowledging These are all the crew. They're, fine, they're, fine people, people behind the glass. Behind the glass right here. Now. It's so distracting. I'm trying to make a point here because and, and Johnny Buttons is a huge Ohio State guy. I, I was I was pounding the table for Mike Thomas, so you would have been happy with that. Uh, but Matt Ryan definitely uh, ruins the whole thing. He's he is uh, he's uninspiring, and you and you look at uh, Julio Jones, you're like. Part of you thinks that he could be so much better, that he deserves so much better to play with a real coach and a, a real, a real. I, I, he I had want... eighteen hundred yards and eight touchdowns last Listen, year. Listen, well, I want twenty two hundred and twenty. <laughs> I can't want more. He was he was my first round draft pick in one of my leagues. So I don't know. I everything about this this team just stinks. Wow. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It it, it, it is Matt Ryan. So I, I guess okay. Real question though. I mean, next yeah. year. Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman, how does this shake out? Okay, first, before we get to that, I think you guys are being a little too hard on saying everything about this team stinks. I didn't say, I didn't say everything he about this team stinks. He said it. You said it in not so many words. You just tried to pin it all on poor Matty Ice. Who? Well, no, because you know what's funny is I'll end up drafting Justin Hardy super early. <laughs> he, was, he was one of my – he's already one of my preseason danger, danger zone zones. Guys. Uh, look, the thing is, Matt Ryan is who we thought he was. Like, he is who he is. We know what he's going to do. This was just uh, – 
lower year for him than in the past. Otherwise, he's going to throw 25 to 30 touchdowns. It's not going to be super exciting, but this is an offense where it was built to funnel through the main guys. Like That's why Julio Jones got a gajillion targets and Devonta Freeman had a gajillion touches. Now, on to your question, Marcus, about Tevin Coleman. These the damn offseason reports are already starting. Like, oh, we can't wait to get Tevin Coleman more involved. Like, we think he's going to be a big part of this offense. Like, we heard all this last year, and we saw that this offense operated most efficiently when Devonta Freeman was the workhorse. So I I don't know that they're going to look at the tape and be like, yeah, let's strip him of all those touches. But it does make me a little concerned since, as we noted in the offseason, Tevin Coleman is this regime's running back draft pick. Devonta Freeman was a holdover from the last one, so. They are naturally going to feel more invested in uh, in Coleman. It's just going to we're going to have to wait and see with okay. this back so to see how it plays out. See, but I I feel like it's people who drafted Coleman last year who want to be like who want to be in cough it. James Co. Cough. James Co. Like people who drafted him last year want to listen. Devontae Freeman, and I said it when he was a rookie, and I was I was famously wrong. You and I were both famously high on wrong. him when he was but a rookie, he, but he he came through for us in the second year, and I think like. You at some point, I understand that you draft a guy and you're like, "Oh, we really want him to succeed." But then it's also the same thing. What happened to Monty Ball in Denver It's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, you're not as good as the guy who was already here, so I'm sorry you're not playing." And right. I think that Freeman's going to be that guy. Obviously, the biggest concern would be injuries, which is the concern with every single running back out there. So if you just want to draft for the best guy, the guy who will end up being the number one guy, all things being equal, yeah, it's going to be Freeman. I yeah, I I like if we were drafting right now, I would. F- I would take Freeman probably in the, the second round, feel a little nervous about it, but as it gets closer, hopefully, and we see that it's going to go back to it, because Freeman played really well yes, this year. Absolutely. He played really well. Um, I would be much more comfortable taking him in that range as a low-end RB1. So then where would you take Coleman? Presumably as a handcuff somewhere later. in. The I'd round. take a throw a dart at Coleman in like round 8 to 10, okay. you know, as like a fourth running back or something. With the handcuff and the upside potential, and oh yeah, I would definitely. Uh, it depends on who drafted Freeman. If it was somebody who I didn't really like, <laughs> I would probably draft Coleman a little bit early, just in case, just to have him there. Um, so any other pass catchers on this team? I mean, there's obviously Julio Jones is going to be talked about in the first round. No surprise there. Anybody else? I mean, obviously Roddy White may not be in Atlanta next year. Um. Uh, I know you mentioned Justin Hardy uh, rank. Uh, yeah, buddy. Uh, He's going to be the number two tenured Falcons wide receiver because Roddy White's not going to be Very well could be. I mean, last year it was Julio Jones with 203 targets, Devonta Freeman with 97. He was number two on the team, the running back, followed by Jacob Tammy with 81. So I'm with rank. I Maybe I'll throw a super late round dart at Justin Hardy or oh, yeah. see what else they do in the draft or if the free – I mean, it's not a great free agent class, but – uh, no, yeah, not really. Not not gonna get on that Roddy White or Jacob Tammy bandwagon. No way. Uh, anything else worth talking about with the Falcons? Well, also just real quick, because this like this offense with the uh, the coordinator situation, and everything. It's one that in the past has funneled through the main guy with Kyle Shanahan. I don't think I'd have to look, but I, f- I feel like historically he hasn't had a lot of number two fantasy wide receivers that have been super relevant in his times as coordinator. So that would be my hesitancy with with grabbing anybody too highly other than Julio Jones in this offense. Does it seem impossible, though? Matt Ryan had 21 touchdown passes last year. 21! In this, in this era of the NFL. I mean, if we're talking like 1978 or something, I'm sure. That's a huge number, right? That's a, that's a big deal. Like, he had 20, and he still had 16 interceptions. And I, he had... 
And that was one. He had three touchdowns against uh, the Indianapolis Colts. And then there's a lot of games where it's 1-1, one, 0-1. One, one. I mean, gosh, this guy, I don't understand. He he gets kind of a free pass. Like, everybody always has this perception that Matt Ryans is one of the upper echelon quarterbacks of the league. And, of course, you're not going to get rid of him because, again, you know, there's a, there's a, a lack of quality quarterbacks in the NFL. But, Good Lord. Like, how, and he's in his he's in his ninth year. Like, it's not like he's a young guy where you're like, hey, he's ready to take this. Like, this is it. This is Matt Ryan. This is who he is. This is, I mean, this is exactly who he the is. The thing is, though, uh, you know, to, to pull from our friends at the Around the NFL podcast, he is above their the Dalton scale or whatever it is, the Alex Smith scale now, where, like, he's he's good enough to be your every year starter, and you know he can take you into the playoffs, but is he going to be that dominant player on the field like a Cam Newton or an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson? Like, no, got no. I mean, and if you got a quarterback like you got to go, I mean, the the Broncos were able to win with a subpar quarterback this year, and I think that so it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Falcons could one day win a championship. But your defense has got to be good because Matt Ryan's not winning a game, and for theirs him. is not at least not. They're not new, now. not even close. Not as it stands now. All right, uh, New Orleans Saints, the the Saints offense. Picked up. I mean, it started the. You know, we 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 spent a lot of time at the start of the year. You know, looking for the Saints maybe to be explosive. I think it took them some time to kind of get into that. But uh, Mark Ingram had one of his better seasons, and I was on this show saying that he was going to have double digit touchdowns this year. Oh yeah, wait, what did he get to? Uh, not close. Nine. He had six. Well, yeah. But I think he would have gotten. He would have gotten there if he didn't get hurt, and he missed a bunch of time, and that I think threw everything off. I really firmly believe that. I, I think, I think he can still be a double-digit touchdown guy one day if he could ever play. You know, fifteen, sixteen games, which which hasn't happened since his second year in the league. Um, I, again, no running back depth out there. Would you take Mark Ingram as one of the top ten guys off the board? Top ten running backs, I should say. Off the yeah, board. top ten running backs for sure. Top ten. Top not ten to no, not top ten board. players. I know no. that, but the top ten, uh, top ten running backs. I'm, I'm a big fan of Mark Ingram uh, since his renaissance two years ago, uh, where he turned his career around. And I have had him in a lot of leagues. I like his running style. It fits with a little bit more what they're trying to do. I wonder if they're going to actually have ways that they get C.J. Spiller involved this year. But I mean, Mark Ingram actually was like. Uh, I wish I knew had the stat off the top of my head. I totally forgot to grab it beforehand. But he was like one of the leading backs in like targets and total touches early in the season because he was just getting everything from that offense. He was getting all the receptions and all of the rush attempts, except sometimes near the goal line. I think that you know the targets thing. I think was the one that surprised us so much. I mean, we expected him to get a lot of carries. The fact that he was catching so many passes earlier in the season, I felt like caught a lot of us off guard. Yeah, I mean, even even especially when because C.J. Spiller joined the bunch, right? Even That's- even though he missed like what did Ingram missed like five six games uh actually I have it right here he missed yeah he missed five games or four games four games he was yeah. still the fifth he's fifth on the team in targets like that is pretty amazing yeah when you consider how prolific that passing offense is you know what though the, here's the thing is I I have Mark Ingram in the uh, the league of leagues which is a keeper league and uh, I'm really sweating out if if Matt Forte goes down there because I I feel like I'm sitting on it because I. I did this thing. I, I moved a lot of people around, and I ended up with uh, Mark Ingram, but improving myself in other areas and everything. But now I'm like looking at it and looking at this free agent class. I'm like, watch, Forte's going to come down there and ruin it all. 
ruin it all for me. I, I like him. I mean, honestly, I, I feel very comfortable with him. And Mark Ingram is one of those guys, and I know I talk about this at great length, but he is one of those guys that after you get your first couple of players and you load up with wide receivers and a tight end perhaps if you get Rob Gronkowski, Mark Ingram's that perfect back to have. As you start filling it in with uh, other guys that you're hoping are going to make that leap, Mark Ingram, to me, He's got enough of a pedigree that you can at least expect some consistency as long as he's healthy. You know, he's like the the Honda Civic of running backs. Like, is anybody going to be super impressed <laughs> that that's what you drive? No, but when you're still driving it 30 years down the road, like, and you put some 18 inch rims on it, then yeah, yeah. And a new paint out. job, you know, redo the interior. Sweet. But yeah, for rather than 30 years, you get hopefully 16 games out of him. Right. Well, I'm a big I'm a big fan of putting bigger rims on your car now. Okay. I didn't realize how big of a difference that really made till I just recently upgraded. But then you have you have thinner tires generally. No, no, no. The, the tires aren't that thin. No, no, no. The, I, the I, tires I, are fine. I guess I'm not getting, I guess I'm not getting I, low profile. I guess I should ask you how big are the rims you're putting on your car? No, the rims. They, they, I, I know the, the rims. It's not ridiculous. It's not the low pro. The, okay. The, 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 you're thinking of the skinny low pro yes, tires. I'm right. not doing that. Okay. I'm getting a regular tire. Okay. An 18 inch rim. Putting on a regular tire. Gotcha. That the, the fine folks at America's Tire Center or whatever. I like how Rank just glanced at me. He's like, when is Gelhard going to get no, too rankled to we don't. stop this conversation? Because we don't have Co, so we, don't, we have a little bit more time. We, yeah, <laughs> and a little bit more freedom. He's not going to stoke the fire of your tangents over here. But I'm just uh, saying, like, it's a nice thing. I mean, and if you're if you're riding around on – just me. Well, you were the one who brought up the Honda Civic in Paris. I did. I know that the stock rims on that are like 15, 16 inches. You want to upgrade it. It makes your ride so much more smoother. And I guess that's the equivalent of having a little upgrade on the offensive line. That was one thing, too. We didn't talk to um, John Moore about Derrick Henry. Yeah, we slipped. He mentioned him a little bit when we were talking about it. And, uh, I mean, a lot has been made about Henry already. It would have been good to get his, his opinion on it. but uh, Made me think of it. Because, well, I'm thinking about who the Cowboys are going to end up with. I know yeah. that there was something coming out where somebody said that perhaps Ezekiel Elliott. Well, Lewis Riddick from ESPN this morning on Twitter uh, That's or was on somebody else said that he would be shocked if shocked. Zeke made it out of the top four. There's which Cleveland. basically Cleveland's is, in the top four, so nothing's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, you never know. There you go. Sorry. No. no it's okay. I brought it back to a football tangent. No, I like it. That's pretty good. All right, let's talk about these wide receivers. Quick, I was going to say, though. Brandon Cooks, Willie Sneed, um, you know, Cooks we expected to have a good season. He started out started scary, out though. Very poorly. Turned it around. Had a pretty good year. Willie Sneed was the guy that kind of came out of nowhere. And, I mean, he was no, carrying he, that offense. He, he did come point. out of nowhere. There's no kind of about it. Um, And... So now, going into next year, we know that Marcus Colston is not going to be there anymore. He's, he's been released. Um, these, in theory, are the guys to carry this offense. My concern with Snead is he was hot for a few weeks, and it seems as though everybody, our defenses kind of started rolling more attention to him, and he faded away a little bit. He did get injured, too, though. That's that, true. That didn't help. Um, I know Harmon actually put him through reception perception. And, and he the fared numbers, pretty well. Numbers were pretty, were pretty solid. Yes. Um, but I think I think what happened too was it was just a volume thing. Like looking at some of his targets, like when he would go into those spells of not, you know, getting as many looks, there would five target game or six target, and hopefully he's not a guy that needs a ton of volume. But he had eleven targets, ten targets, you know, eight, twelve things like that. I'd be interested to see if they add a piece in the draft because they could maybe use. Um, and when I wrote up our Laquan Treadwell for our prospect today series, which you guys can read at NFL.com/slash/fantasy, I had thought. He might make sense for the Saints because they've got two fast guys in Sneed and uh, Cooks. Cooks can play outsider in the slot. Sneed played really well in the slot last year. You put Treadwell, that big body chain mover on the outside, could be a fun little passing attack right there. But I like Cooks. 
What do you guys think of him? Wide receiver two range for Cooks this year again? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He's, he's, he's WR2. For yeah, probably. What do you guys that. think? Uh, with Brandon Cooks, I, I like him. Last week we were talking about Sammy Watkins. Who would you rather have, Cooks or Watkins? I'd rather have Watkins. I think I'd rather have Watkins. Okay. I'm, I'm with you, too. I just know um, – uh, I'll just put it out there. I, 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 You know, we have people from around the industry coming on. Matthew Barry had his top 200 out. And I was checking it out after we were done because I'm like, I wonder where he has Watkins. And uh, he had him at 19. And he had Cooks at, like, number 12. And I started thinking about – Wait, out of the whole 200 or just in wide receiver? Oh, I'm sorry, a wide receiver. Okay. So I was just like, oh, am I am I missing something? Am I not seeing it? Because I love Watkins, and uh, and I know Matthew was at the combine this week and talked about how the Bills coaches were raving about him. Mm-hmm. So now it, it makes me think too, like, oh, I bet he moves up. But I really like Watkins. But I, I but Cooks again, another one of those guys that if you're if you're at the back end of the second round, that I think he falls to you in early in the third round. I would up. love Cooks in the third, personally. Oh yeah, I mean, well, it depends. On, I mean, I I'm thinking like if you were at the swing pick. At the second, yeah. If you're right there, and I think that that's where Cooks falls a lot of well, Watkins is there a lot too because as I do my mock drafts and everything, I'm always I for whatever reason I always like to start off at the number one position just to see kind of where How everything goes. Yeah. And a lot of times it sits there, and I'm like, God, if I had Antonio Brown, and you're playing the thing where you could play either three receivers, you play two and a flex. I'm like, I would happily go Watkins and Cooks right there. Do Brown so, Watkins oh, Cooks, and then yeah. take your shots on running away Slater. I mean, I also I also feel like Sammy Watkins I think has a higher ceiling. I, I don't I don't think we have scratched exactly what Sammy Watkins yeah. can do. I feel like, I feel like we're a lot closer to seeing who Brandon Cooks is, and that's not bad. I think he's a really talented receiver. I just think he's a lot closer to his ceiling than Watkins. Right, is. Watkins is the guy that can that could really just take over a game. As we saw a couple times last year, once he demanded the targets and he got it, because he can take short routes to the house, he can beat guys deep, he's got better size than Cooks where he can jump over guys and get the ball still. And I think that was that was that might have been the sign where they, they finally started giving him the targets he was demanding and that offense kind of opened up where Sammy could be, be poised for a massive year this year. Yeah, I, I'm really yeah I'm really excited about him. But I, it's interesting, though, just to, to see, like, I've seen the variance on him, like, so wide-ranging because there's got a lot of guys I respect, like Matthew Berry, who I who had him low, and then some of the guys I like, too, also had him real high because I think, and I know we did the, I know we did the AFC East uh, last week, but I really think, and it, it just ties into Cooks because I consider them to be very similar, but I, I, just think, I just think Watkins is just on the verge of just having a monster season. I'm, I'm right there with I you. I mean, because he was, he was injured for a lot of last year, don't forget, and he still finished with over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. Yeah. They're gonna ha- and he, he finally has a quarterback that he's yeah. going to be with and Tyrod Taylor there. I think it's all it's all lining up for him, and we're already just throwing fuel on the fire in that hype train. <laughs> and he, well, he's he also stepped by stepped up by demanding the ball too. Yes, which I know a lot of people like roll their eyes and, and oh, diva wide receiver and delivering though too. Yeah, that's a thing. He he did the throw me the damn ball, and then he actually did stuff and with he it. Actually he actually did, did stuff. Right, he caught it and ran with it. There's oh. a difference. A lot of wide receivers will whine for it. Some might not make the plays. Watkins demanded it, and then he went on a huge tear down the stretch. Funny how a conversation about Brandon Cooks and Willie Sneed ended up with a dissertation on Sammy. Watkins. Yeah, uh, but, just, so just, I I I think it's important for comparison. No, it is. And l- are, the last thing on Willie Sneed is, uh, he had so last year Sneed had 101 targets. He had 69 catches, just shy of a thousand yards. If he didn't get injured, he probably would have crossed it. Only three touchdowns, which could which could bounce back. Drew Brees was injured as well. That was actually like as prolific as that passing offense is. Drew Brees didn't hit five thousand yards. Whoa! Yeah, and only only thirty two touchdowns. So 
I think that offense could could take a bounce back this year, and uh, touchdowns are one of the most widely variant statistics anyway. So oh, yeah. Snead is a guy I will definitely be taking shots at as a wide receiver is my like th- wide receiver three to five range later in drafts depending on the board falls over to now the tampa bay oh go ahead i was gonna say an alumnus of the u there you go uh over Danger to the tampa bay zone, buccaneers um okay so this isn't on the list but you mentioned touchdown variants and and that sort of thing being wild Correct. and the first name that comes to mind for me is mike evans who there are a lot of people in this world who are much higher on mike evans than i am <laughs> um you know i think he's fine uh, had the fantastic rookie year, 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns. Last year, more yards, had more catches and more yards, but just three touchdowns. Maybe that was a product of working with Jameis, a new quarterback in the first year, what have you. Um, I mean, who will the real Mike Evans please stand up? I mean, are you are you a you know closer to eight or nine touchdown guy? I'm not going to say 12, but maybe an eight or nine touchdown guy, or are you going to be the three to five touchdown guy? I mean, who is who is? My Mike guess Evans? is he slides back into that eight or nine range. Let's not forget that he started the year with, I think it was a hamstring injury, and he missed the first couple games, um, and then he came back slowly, and I think he missed some of the offseason work, so he didn't get that early rapport with Jameis. Jameis, rookie year, solid rookie year, only 22 touchdowns, though, so there's not a ton to go around. And uh, you know he peppered them. He peppered them all throughout his offense. But Evans is clearly the guy. He had 148 targets, which was more than double the next closest person on the team. Um, he and Jameis. There were several games where they showed a good rapport, and you could just kind of see, like, oh, this this is what this is what's to come. So I would expect Evans to to kind of even out in both regards, and maybe be like one of those a thousand and eight guys every year. Yeah, he seems like somebody who a lot of people are going to be sleeping on a little bit. Who's kind of going to fall through the cracks. Once again, I'll don't worry, I'll spit it out. Um, <laughs> but again, he probably goes in, into that conversation too with Sammy Watkins, Brandon Cooks, where it's that group of receivers where you're really going to be having to make a decision on. I like Sammy Watkins, obviously, more than him. I like Evans over Brandon Cooks because it was something that you were saying about Sammy Watkins where the ceiling on him is really high. And I think that this Buccaneers offense – uh, has a chance to take a little bit of a step forward. I think that Lovey Smith was probably holding him back a little bit because he's very conservative. So I think now with Dirk Cutter, even though he did nothing as the head coach of Arizona State, <laughs> I'm willing to overlook that and think that perhaps – Can we go back Buccaneers, to his days at Boise State? We'll pretend, yeah. We'll he just, got that we'll just, rolling. We'll look at the Boise State. Well, he was, he was piggybacking off Dan Hawkins. But he – I'm going to say that he ends up taking a step – was he before up. Dirk uh, Dan Hawkins? No, he was he was Hawkins' offensive coordinator. Okay, I'm somewhat confident. Now, you, now you're making me. <laughs> it's one of those things I'm going to question myself because I thought he Hawkins the, uh, Hawkins was... went to Colorado and then Cutter Cut, Cutter became the head coach. Then he went to Dirk, Dirk Cutter State. was the head coach at Boise State from '98 to 2000, and then Chris Peterson took off after him. And then, yeah, because Hawkins would have been. Uh, keep going. I'm going to look at right, this. Well, Hawkins well, would have been in. A- Dirk, Cutter, no, Dirk Cutter was the head coach in 98 2000. Hawkins was from 01 to 05. And then what? Peterson. Yes. All right. Well, for those fans that haven't turned off the podcast with that Dirk it's Cutter history. This has, been your, this has been your Mountain West Minute on the NFL uh, Fantasy Live on podcast. On Fantasy Football Calculator, Mike Evans right now is going as the wide receiver 13. Uh, several spots ahead of Brandon Cooks, actually, who. Is that the right? Wide receiver twenty three, I think, for Cooks. If my quick counting was accurate, really? Cooks is going on fantasy football calculator. He's going after Randall Cobb, Jarvis Landry, T. Y. Hilton, Martavis Bryant, and Josh Gordon. That's interesting to me. Wow, that could change that? this offseason. But, uh, anyways, yeah, that was 
That's a good question on Mike Evans. Uh, this back, this backfield though. Let's talk about. Exactly. This well, well, first off, do we all believe that? Do we think Doug Martin's going to be back in Tampa next year? I do. I, I think he's going to stay with the Bucks. I think he will. It would be smart for all parties, but you never know. Right. You never know. So, which brings us to the the real question I had on here is Charles Sims. Not actually, Chuck Sims. Chuck Sims. Sorry, you're right. Chuck Sims. No, I mean don't make I. Let's no, no, no. Stop, let's I, stop trying to make him happen. I'm not trying to make him happen. I just want to have a discussion about Chuck Sims right. because he had over a thousand scrimmage yards last year, and I believe did he creep into the top 25 running backs? He did. He I'm was sure. the RB 22. So even if even if Doug Martin is there, uh, I think Chuck Sims could have value as a, a potential flex play in the right matchup, or especially in PPR leagues. What say you guys? Um, yeah, I mean, there's some value there. I mean, he's he's a guy that you're probably waiting till. You know, ninth, tenth round before you, you you take him off the board. Um, you know, I I don't know if I'd like him as a hand, maybe a handcuff, but I think he's a guy that you you plug in as a flex play when the matchup is right. Certainly, if Doug Martin you know gets injured, he's there. But um, I mean, I think that's that's his ceiling right now. Yeah, I I still God, he's kind of a big guy. It's disappointing because he's some of the. It's again, it's the it's the bias that you carry from picking a guy up, hoping that he's going to come through for you. And then having him not do that, which kind of uh, clouds your judgment and everything. You know, if if Charles Sims ends up being the number one running back there, it's going to be his job. They draft somebody behind him. I would feel pretty. I would feel somewhat confident with it. I would be very happy to take a chance on him, but I'm just not there yet. So crazy Charles Sims numbers. He was second on the team in targets with 70. Behind Mike Evans, yep. that's the one thing. It, I, and he was tied for the team lead in receiving touchdowns. He and, and Austin Safarian Jenkins each had four receiving touchdowns. He is an excellent athlete too, Charles Sims. Which I know a lot of the the measurables and metrics people uh, on Twitter and in the community are really high on Charles Sims this year. Um, I just think he's a name to watch, especially with what happens with Doug Martin in the coming weeks with free agency. Um, and even if Doug Martin stays, Sims might be a name to circle as a, as a late-round guy because we've seen Doug Martin hasn't exactly been the pinnacle of health in his career so far. He was great last year, but... Yeah, you know what it was? Is I picked him up, uh, Falcons game. He did nothing. He was, and then you were burned. You, look, you looked at it, you're like, oh, it's a great matchup. Like, oh, you know, a lot of these variables right there, and you need somebody in a flex spot. And uh, got that didn't do much. Uh, it was much I, know as I expected. That, I know that once, uh, once it was the Saints. What once Adam two? Rank has been burned by a player, I uh, it's hard to go back. Fool once, him once, shame on you. Once I'm aggrieved, I fool him twice. I not not going to get fooled again. Not going to get fooled again. <laughs> I hang on to it for a long. Time. I do not let it go. Um, I will still carry a grudge with people. All right, real quick, and then let's get to Daps. Uh, Jameis QB thirteen is a rookie. As I mentioned, only twenty two passing touchdowns. He had a few uh, rushing scores, which helped boost his total, but. He played pretty well. Is anybody buying him as maybe a low-end QB1 if you wait on quarterbacks? Uh, I don't know that I could make him a QB. I mean, you're talking about a QB1. Yeah, I just I just don't know. Because that, that would mean to me that more often than not, I'm putting Jameis in my starting lineup, and I don't know that I'm quite there yet with him. That's fair. Yeah. There's a lot of quarterbacks out there. I don't think that anybody's going to be in a league that's large enough to warrant you playing him, unless you know you're perhaps you're in a 14 team league or something like that. A lot of the things that I like about Jameis Winston help other players. Like I like his fearlessness. I like his uh, 
his ability to try to thread the needle all the time, I guess, his gumption or anything like that. He's just not afraid of anything, and he makes passes that a lot of other quarterbacks would shy away from, which sometimes results in interceptions. And But he does try to make plays, and I think that that's going to end up helping guys like Mike Evans down the road. Austin Safarian Jenkins is it really is one of the stories we should be talking about because the, the offense could absolutely feature him too. So I think there's a lot of good stuff going on, but I don't think that Winston can be a – QB one for you this year. Yeah. So uh, in his last out of his last eleven games coming off the bye, he had eighteen or more fantasy points, seven of those, and he never had fewer than twelve point eight, which is when he was kind of starting to put it together a little bit. Multiple touchdown passes in just four of those games, but he had five rushing touchdowns in that span too. I, I mean, I, I also think a lot of it really is, and we talk about game flow in the offense and all that kind of thing. And the one thing I noticed early in the year it seemed as though they were trying to put a lot on Jameis and, and having him try to manage the game and throw the ball a lot, and he really struggled, especially early in the season. When they started to work the running game in more, when Doug Martin started to see more work and they were able to move the ball on the ground, I thought that's when Jameis got better. So you know, obviously having a year of experience, maybe he can manage the offense a little bit better and he can be more of the, the conduit through which everything flows, but I still think you know they are going to need balance in order for Jameis to be a lot more successful see but I don't want him to to put the reins on him too much because he's kind of that he needs to have that kind of swagger he needs to have the ability to go out there and make plays you know and sometimes he's going to throw an interception but a lot of times he's going to end up making a huge play for you he did it at Florida State I think he can do it at this level but again because there's so much depth at the quarterback position Matt Ryan notwithstanding um that you can go with other guys and perhaps Winston's just more of a matchup place based player. There you go. All right. I think it's all fair. Yeah. Time to dap. Let's dap it. Let's dap. Extra, extra, read all about it. This is the day. Daps and hugs. Give me daps because I'll be scribbling right. Give me dabbing up daps about daps and <laughs> All right. Daily dap time. Uh, Adam Rank, are you ready to dap? Oh, absolutely. All right. Go for it. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, big daps to Major League Baseball because spring training is starting on March 2nd. Giddy up. Spring training games start on March 2nd, which is amazing. Again, kicking off probably perhaps the most magical sports month of the season. Everything is going great. Uh, Love everything about uh, spring training and everything. This is actually going to be my first time going to spring training, which is usually not. Wait, really? Yeah. Listen, I go to 40 Angel games a year. Well, I know, but I figured you had made your way down to Tempe Diablo uh, before. You would think. Right? You would think, but you would be wrong. Oh, all right. But I also want to give some daps to The Flash. What are the, you know, for as bad as DC movies are, and I know a lot of people aren't having high hopes for... Okay, are you going to throw Because I'm Superman. still catching up, so are you going to drop any spoilers nope, no spoiler. here? No right, cool. think uh, They're on a little mini hiatus right now. Okay. That show continues to be great. I really like that they really... Like Jameis Winston, they take some chances. They're really they're throwing haymakers. There is no slow burn on the flash. They're really getting after it, so I appreciate that. Daps to them. Daps to uh, Chris Law. You might know him from the Rich Eisen Show. He was a co-worker of ours for a long time here. He, uh, As we're talking right now, his wife, yes. his wife is in labor. Hooray! So hopefully Baby Law will be here by the time that you're listening to this. Hopefully it is a short labor. I know his wife's first name. I don't know that it's out there for public consumption, so I'm not going to say it. But congratulations to them and their family. I know what it's like having a newborn. So it's going to be a lot of fun for them. Anti-daps. For the new FIFA president who's saying that the World Cup in Qatar is going to stand. Like, come on. Admit your mistake. 
pull that one back and just do the right thing. What? Am I wrong? You're not wrong. No. You need to You're not that. wrong. Uh, Anti-Daps for not having Abe Vigoda in the memoriam. For the Oscars. The Oscars. Yep. Star Wars? I said this on Twitter. I said not having Star Wars in the best picture category is like having an NBA MVP vote without Steph Curry. It was the best movie of the year. Everybody went to see it. It's the best picture. I'm sorry. I know there was a lot of good stuff that a lot of people did. <laughs> it's a good picture. And spoiler I know a lot of people are like, well, it's really. And listen, listen, spoiler alert. By the way, if you haven't seen episode seven, I'm going to spoil the out of it right now. And turn off the podcast if you haven't seen the, it. Turn off the podcast if you haven't seen it. But listen, somebody's like, well, it was just kind of a science fiction. I'm like, look, it's the story of a guy who's a, ter- who's a terrible father who neglects his son, who goes on to be one of the world's, one of the galaxy's worst dictators, destroyer of planets. And so he goes to rectify the situation and gets killed for it. It's an emotional story. It's very deep. And so I think that was Star very, Wars, very good. It's a story about fathers and sons. It is. It is. <laughs> the fact that it got no consideration is just. And I wouldn't be so upset if it was Mad Max. Mad nominated. Max. Mad Max was pretty fantastic. Mad Max. It's a great movie, but it's like you're obviously looking at a movie and being like, a lot of people like this. Let's nominate it. It was also a better movie, though. Mad Max. Yeah. I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars, but Mad like, Max. Obje- objectively, movie. yeah, it was, it a, was a better movie. movie. The haters. I can't deal with the what haters. What is it? It's a hating. You're hating it. Uh, if you uh, say to say that it's not the best movie of the year is hating. This Twitter generation. If you're not, uh, if you're well, not for millennials, it, you're against right? It. If you're not yeah. for it, you're against it. Probably doess not even eat cereal anymore. Cause it's too much <laughs> uh, you want to follow that there, Alex? With some I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll daily dap. Uh, I picked up recently uh, one of my comic book runs, uh, Sandman Overture, which is a long-awaited like prequel that uh, Neil Gaiman wrote for uh, his magnum opus, Sandman, one of the best comic book series ever. I haven't finished it yet, but it's been awesome just hanging out with those characters again, seeing the beautiful artwork and stuff. And then I was going to... Uh, Daily Dap to the Oscars, for the most part, being quite an enjoyable, enjoyable show. I thought Chris Rock did a fantastic job hosting it. I was happy to see Mad Max pull in so many awards. Happy for Leo to finally get his. Happy for Brie Larson, because she was tremendous. And I was happy that Revenant didn't win Best Picture, because it didn't deserve it. And I thought Spotlight was great. So, there are my daps. Marcus, what do you got for us? Uh, did, I, did I mention I didn't watch a, a second of the Oscars? Well, and you, I know you boycott I the Oscars. Uh, boycotted it Wait, wait, let me guess. Because... Georgetown, Carolina? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was, I forget what game it was. It was a youngster. I know it was either Georgetown, Carolina or Georgetown, Villanova. I wasn't sure, but I remember One of those. You, uh, you ended up having to watch the Oscars, and you ended up missing a great college, a historic college basketball game because of it. Maybe it was the Villanova. Eh, whatever. Anyway, I missed one. I just know Georgetown was involved. Um, so my daily dabs, one, uh, the folks at uh, boingboing.net, uh, they, they found a link to an Imgur site. Um, this is not uh, PC. This is for the grown-ups here. But it is every Playboy centerfold ever. What? Yeah. Uh, so that. Just go to Boing Boing, look up Playboy centerfolds. You will find the link. Enjoy. Um, daps to the Muppets. Shadowy League figures are closing in I on the know, podcast it's, studio. It's probably going to be just it's, static. It's going to be like you know, 15 seconds of static in this part of the podcast. It's amazing to look at the grooming habits. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, shout out to the Muppets. I, I, you know what? I haven't watched the new show at all. I hear it's supposed to be very, very good. But uh, I see a link this morning from Rolling Stone, and the headline says, See Jack White sing, You Are the Sunshine of My Life with the Muppets. That combines so many things that I enjoy. Jack White, Stevie Wonder, and the Muppets. So uh, it's actually for the season finale of the show. It airs tonight in the United States. I guess it already aired in Canada or something. I don't know. Canada's ahead of us. I don't know how, but 
How is that possible? I don't know. But uh, not only does he sing You Are the Sunshine of My Life with Electric Mayhem backing him up, apparently it is going to be released uh, through Jack White's Third Man uh, uh, record label. Uh, Daps to Sports Illustrated. I don't know if any of you follow the SI Vault on Twitter, but uh, they always put out some of the great historic photos from Sports Illustrated throughout the long history of the magazine. They've just revamped their vault. You can go to si.com slash vault, and you can pretty much look up photos from you know the whole history, the whole long history of Sports Illustrated. They also link to a lot of their big-time cover stories from the past uh, going back decades and decades. It's always a fun it's a fun follow on Twitter, and it's definitely, uh, you know, for sports historians and just sports fans in general, a, uh, a good look back. And finally, shouts out to uh, Gerardo, who fixed my car. I had major electrical issues with my car over the weekend, all stemming from basically a bad jump of a battery. Uh, I learned more about my car's electrical system in the last 24 hours or so than I ever imagined I would. But uh, shouts out to Gerardo who uh, got my car back up and running again. It was weird. I could start the car. It ran. I had zero power to the interior. So, like, nothing. Doors, windows, speedometer, clock, radio. Nothing on the inside of the car worked. But the car ran, so I could at least drive it to the shop and uh, have him take a look at it. And uh, literally two hours later, uh, I was back up and running, and it was all good again. But uh, it was uh, was a frustrating afternoon. Shouts out to Gerardo for uh, uh, for helping me out. What size rims you got on your car? I think I have 15s. Oh, come on. (laughs) I think I have 15s, too. (laughs) I think I've got 15s. Upgrade it once. Uh, all right. Uh, I think I think that's a good one. Yeah. Well, thanks to uh, John Morgan for coming yes. on the podcast. Uh, please, Naps to him too. Uh, rate and uh, comment on the podcast on iTunes and other places. That helps us know what you guys like, what you don't. If you want more rings discussions, the that too. Rate who's the hottest on this audio podcast. <laughs> this is a hot or not podcast. <laughs> I, mean, I want I want rankings. This is fantasy podcast I'm Tinder. Sh- who would I'm- you swipe right for? <laughs> who would you swipe left for? I understand uh. me coming in last, seeing that I don't have any hair, but it's okay. I still want to see what the people think. There are a lot of people who like All right. the Fallout so Challenge. Rate no, the podcast on its actual merits, on the the hotness of the, the hosts, or, or whatever have you. We just appreciate it, and it helps us to find out what you guys like. So, Absolutely. So, I guess. Uh, that'll do it for us. James Cohn, get better. For the WizKid from Wisconsin, Alex Gelhar and the Fantasy Maverick, Adam Rank. I am Marcus Grant. We will see you. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. They say every dog has its day, but when you're Lulu and your parents drive a Camry, every day is your day. The roomy rear seat is the perfect, whoa, is that the dog park? Backseat besties, it's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry. Toyota, let's go places. Burgers are best fresh from the grill. Well, more specifically, burgers with Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. It's so rich and creamy that it instantly makes any burger irresistible. And what backyard barbecue is complete without some potato salad? Not just any potato salad, of course. Potato salad highlights the rich, creamy goodness of Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. So if you want to take your barbecue season to the next level, stock up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. For great recipe ideas, visit hellmans.com.